us come to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you. We come before you knowing that everything has been dealt with in regard to our sin. Oh yes, Lord, we could regret and look over our lives and uh, look and see all the things we have done and Lord, what would it achieve for us? Lord, we thank you that our eyes are brought to look forward tonight. To look at him who has accomplished all the forgiveness of our sin. And Lord, to open up a living way into your presence that is not barred in any sense to us. The Lord is made freely available to us. Lord, not merely to the ears of an angel. But Lord, to the ear of God, whom we may address with our prayers at any time and any point. We thank you, Lord, this evening for answers to prayer. We thank you, Lord, for the renewed fellowship with Sonia and Paolo this evening. Lord, we pray that you would continue to grant to Sonia restoration of her health and leading and guiding for the doctors who look after her. Lord, we thank you, too, for the daily strength you've given each of us, that we might walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, there is much to dishearten, discourage, to worry us, Lord, when our eyes are cast upon you, Lord, we see a throne that is established in the heavens, that nothing can move. And Lord, every plan of yours is purposed and will be accomplished. Lord, we thank you that in that you have thoughts for us. Lord, thoughts to bless us and to help us, to strengthen us. You have the end of our journey of this life in your eye. You already know, Lord, what you have purposed for our eternity. Lord, we thank you for the peace this brings us. Lord, we do pray for those around us tonight who know nothing of that peace. Who, Lord, blindly go through this world believing they're as good as everyone else and it's okay. Lord, the reality of this world is, Lord, it's passing. Lord, you set people in slippery places and at any moment all the peace that they presently enjoy could be taken and shattered away from them when you bring them into your presence. Lord, we thank you for your mercy that spared such as us from what we deserved, gave us to us instead grace. We ask, Lord, that you would yet be merciful on our communities around us, on our friends and our families, that they may come to know you as Lord and Savior, that the transformation in their lives may be real. And Lord, it may be proof that there is a God in heaven who loves them and has sent his Son to redeem them. Lord, may you continue to change and transform us too. We come to your word, Lord. We know it is sharp, it is powerful. Lord, may we feel its power tonight, reminding us of your glory and of your greatness. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 17. In this section, Paul is moving on from the thought of what it means to be reconciled. The Christian is reconciled to God. And we looked last time at the opening verses here, which speak about being a different relationship we now have in the midst of this world to the world and what we are experiencing. Paul writes, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law... Sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, 
even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to, was to come. The free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that, not like that which came through the one who sinned. But the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. You will be forgiven if you think they are complicated verses, uh, because Paul's words often have a pattern of going back over themselves, and it can feel quite complicated. And it can be difficult then for a preacher to try and make it simple and to straighten it out in a way that maybe we can all understand and gain something from. But we begin where we looked at last time to remind ourselves of our setting. And here we're looking this evening at the abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness. And Paul's dealt with this before, he'll deal with it again. But it's an important theme in the gospel, the righteousness accomplished by Christ. And there is an abundance, as we look at our introduction, of grace and of the gift of righteousness in verse 17, Paul mentions. And we looked last time at our relation to the world, how it has been transformed by this gift of reconciliation. God reconciled us to himself, not by anything we've done, it was his gift. We were born into the world where everyone dies because death has spread through that first man, Adam, to everyone in the world. Adam's sin causes us all to die because that was what God said would happen. God commanded him not to eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden he ate. Therefore, we all die. Since Adam, though, it's not just Adam's sin that's the problem. Everybody has continued to sin and therefore died, not only for Adam's sin, but as a result of their own sin and behavior towards God. That was until Jesus Christ entered the world. When he entered the world, he did not sin. Instead, he made himself obedient to the will of God, even to the point of dying in the place of sinners that they might be reconciled to God. And this means that those who trust in Jesus, although they live in a world where everyone dies, they actually possess life, a life which can never die. Death can only now separate the Christian from their bodies, but they continue to live with Christ forever until he returns, and then it will be fulfilled, the greatness of this salvation. Now, Paul continues here to declare, not only is our relation to the, in the world to death changed completely, we now live, we are now alive, we cannot die in the way that others die. Paul continues to declare the gift of righteousness that transforms the Christian's 
<coughs> sorry, Christians to the cause of death. And he begins with, there are three words in these verses that remind us of what was absent before we knew Christ. There was an absence of righteousness. We had no righteousness. But the free gift is not like the offense. The offense here then is the first of the three words that describe what was lacking in this absence of righteousness. There was a continuing presence of offense. Every time somebody is born into the world, they are evidence of Adam's sin. As they evidence his life, his behavior, and that is carried through in their own actions. They add to that offense their own sinning. They continue to sin, not rejecting what Adam has done and what sin is, but choose to commit their own sin, and there is this ongoing spread of death because of the offense we continue to sin. There comes with this absence of righteousness not only an offense, but a reminder of God's judgment of that offense, the offensiveness of sin. When Adam sinned, he was judged according to the commandment he had broken. And likewise, we are all judged, all are judged for their continuing choice to break the commands of God. Now, Paul has stated this already in this letter in chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. That is to everyone. Everybody knows something of God, his nature, his being. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes have been clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. God is clear about what we are doing in our lives before we knew him. It wasn't just that we were born into bad circumstances or situations. We chose to sin, to obey, disobey God, to behave as if it didn't matter what we did or how we lived, as long as we were happy, as long as we were getting what we wanted. But God, seeing our lives, knew these things as offenses against him. And the result of that comes the third word in this absence of righteousness. There is offenses committed, the judgment of that offense by God is clear, and then there is the condemnation that results from the offense. All the evidence points to a willful continuation of the propagating of offenses and the offensiveness of sin. Not only committing sin, but indeed encouraging others by the pattern of life and what is said and spoken and done to commit their own sins and the offensiveness of it. With no regard for God, the righteousness that he desired in his, cre his creation to display, we think of ourselves in relationships, how we are to love. Love is a pleasant experience when it is carried out to its fullest, even without knowing God, but we choose to reject what that means, for example. 
So with no regard for God and his righteousness that he desires in his creation display, so as we are born under the condemnation of death brought through Adam, we continue to show that this, is, this condemnation then of God is quite just. It is absolutely just. For not only do we follow in the pattern that has come before us, we add to it our own offenses against God. And there is no standing before him. We have no righteousness. And God is just then. When he gives mankind their wages, the wages of sin is death, as Paul has already stated. And their unrighteous, the wages of their unrighteous actions, which they have committed in life. That is our state before we came to know Christ. And that, of ourselves, is always our state. We have nothing to boast in here tonight. There is none who is righteous, no, not one. If any man says he is without sin, he is a liar. We all fall short of the glory of God. There is an absence of righteousness. And we see that throughout our world. If there is anything that displays anything different, it must come from somewhere else. And yet it is also present. For there was an absent righteousness in our lives, but there there is a present righteousness. But the free gift resulted in justification. The free gift of reconciliation is not like the offense. One man's offense, Adam's sin, was the means by which many died. But that man, of course, was not Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Therefore, through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we may expect a gift of expect the abundance of the gift of reconciliation to abound to many. Paul is trying to make clear to us in verse 15. Because things are not worse in Christ, surely. They must be better. There are three things again here that match up to the offense, the judgment, the condemnation. The first that Paul mentions is an abundance of grace. This is namely the grace of God. This is not the grace of man. This has not its source in man. It has its source with God. It is his grace, natured by him, holy, perfect, accomplishing great and wonderful things. It is the abundance of his love through one man, as Paul states it, Jesus Christ. No one else. There's no other name given amongst men by which we must be saved. There is no other person through whom we can receive our salvation nor the gifts of salvation. Only he is the one through whom the grace of God has been provided. God has shown all mankind that he desired to give sinners what they do not deserve. That is what grace is. It is not earned. It is not merited. It is not deserved in any manner or form. There is nothing in us by which God says, that person should have my grace. 
It is entirely of God. What we deserve is to have the wages of our sin, the offense we have committed, the condemnation, the judgment. We should receive the wages of this. But God has an abundance of grace. And it is not that he's pouring it all out upon us. This abundance here is that God has an abundance and an abundance of an abundance eternally, beyond measure, without limit. He has chosen to reveal to those that he has desired to give what they do not deserve. Second, it is not only an abundance of grace that Paul mentions here, it is a justifying grace. Because one man's sin resulted in death. How much more, states Paul, due to those who are guilty of many offenses. Justifying sin, came from, death came from one man's offense. Yet the necessity of forgiveness, how much more will have to come, how much more is shown to those who need this grace. It is a justifying grace. It is the compassion in the heart of God that makes available the provision of abundant grace for all who need it. Not for all who want it. Nobody desires it in and of themselves. This is for all who need it and are given it by God. When we receive reconciliation, It is because God has chosen to justify us. Grace has given us what we do not deserve. But what we need and what God is delighted in himself to give to us. If God were a builder, I'm going to stray from my notes. If God were a builder in the manner of men in this world, and he was to look at the standard of things that have been built by us, the wobbly walls, the directionless building, and nothing seems to match up at all. If he were a builder, he would have it knocked down and start again. But God has determined instead to justify, to put right, to correct, to change entirely, to bring in line with his perfect standard and will. Nothing of what has been done will undermine God's purpose. He has justified the Christian completely. There is a third part to this. An abundance of grace without measure and limit, a justifying grace by which we are counted as if we had never, ever sinned. We are put right before God. We are justified. Then third, there is a ruling grace. Children of God have received grace and justification thereby it transforms their relation to sin. No longer are they condemned by sin. They've received grace with God and stand upright in his sight and perfect in his sight, thereby their relation to sin has totally changed. And sin has therefore lost its power and grip over them. What can sin do to us? Sin has already lost its grip of death because We have had our relationship with God changed. We are reconciled to God, so therefore we cannot die. So sin has no ability to kill us. 
and sin through the grace and righteousness of God, the justification has no power to condemn us, to ruin us. We might spend hours thinking about what we've done amiss today and all these things, but sin doesn't have that power anymore because Christ has justified us. God has made us perfect. God has made the Christian free to rule over sin in their lives. Now, that doesn't mean that we will not commit sin. We will continue to sin as long as we're in this world. But sin no longer has its power over us. It can't threaten us with death. It can't condemn us for the matters we have done, for we are left to point to Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, and there is my righteousness. And when I pray, Father, forgive me, I know it's forgiven, because there he is seated at the right hand of God, and there is an abundance of grace. I can never sin to the limit of God's grace. I can never reach to the end of his grace. Not that I would desire to as a Christian, but I need to be reminded. Because often the enemy would try and make me feel so guilty of my sin as to take my eyes off the fact that it was never what I did that saved me. It was God. He poured out an abundance of grace. No, he opened the way for an abundance of grace, which keeps on flowing. He justifies me entirely. There is nothing left out that is not made perfect. He gives me the knowledge of this, that I may rule over sin in my life, not willing to commit it when it is committed to bring it to the cross and to remind myself it's dealt with in Christ. Now Paul went around a long way to get there, maybe, and I hope that's made it a little clearer. Once we had no righteousness, it was absent. But we have been given a righteousness from God that is perfect. You have an abundance of grace God's grace. You have been justified and you have been given this that you may know it is a ruling grace that overrules sin in every measure and part. It has conquered. Why we sang, "'Tis finished, the Messiah dies. It is done. It is accomplished. As we come to exhortation, Apostle Paul concludes these few verses with this word, will reign in life through one, the one Jesus Christ. Made the point in these verses a couple of times, this one way, this one person is the root of our salvation. Knowing the abundance of grace and the present real righteousness transforms the Christian's relation to sin so important. This is the gospel. Christ died for sinners that we might be made the righteousness of God. It's a free gift. It is not earned, not merited, comes to us through reconciliation. 
when Jesus spoke in the Gospels, and you can read these words on several occasions, you will find that when he healed an individual or spoke to them, he would frequently say, go and sin no more. And people say, well, of course, he didn't mean that they would never sin again. No, he didn't. But he did mean by what he had revealed to them and shown to them, that they would not let sin overcome them again. They would go and sin no more. They would not make it the pattern of their lives. Listen, we can spoil our joy in Christ by giving sin honor in our lives instead of giving recognition to God for the gift of righteousness given to us through the gift of reconciliation in Jesus Christ. We can give sin credit. Well, look what sin I have committed. And I a terrible person. And I awful that I have done this and committed this. There is an element of truth that we should be regret and repent of our sin. We should never hold it onto it as if it is a badge. Something has a hold over our lives, a, a finished sentence over us. I'm always sinning. I'm always falling short. Well, that may be true. But the greater truth is this. Christ died for sinners. Paul says, of whom I am the chief. But he doesn't boast in his sin. He boasts in Christ's righteousness over sin. The grace of God was sufficient for him, even as he faced a thorn in the flesh. He had all he needed in Christ. What then was Paul's focus? To give glory to God for his salvation. When we sin, it is a matter of regret. It is something we pray daily as the Lord instructed us. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our debts. We come to one who asks us to pray that because he is already forgiven. You and I may not appear before one another tonight to be righteous, but that is not the truth, is it? In the sight of Almighty God, we are counted righteous through Christ. Don't let sin rule over your life. Let the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of how God views you rule over your sin. Remember what God said to Cain in the beginning? Sin desires to rule over you. Desire is for you. Rule over it. Sin has not changed its desire to rule even over the Christian's life. But there is one king on the Christian's heart, in the Christian's heart. One Lord, one Master, our God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us give him glory that he has changed our relation to sin. No longer the offenses, but the grace of God. No longer the judgment, but the justification of God. The righteousness of God given to us. A wonderful thing. To walk, go to bed tonight knowing that our sins are forgiven. 
we can rest knowing we have no cause to look back over what we have done, only forward to seeing in full all that God has accomplished. For if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The gospel's wonderful, wonderful indeed.